0: Amen. Open your Bible with me to John chapter 15. We're going to park there today. And as you're turning there, uh, my name is Pastor Dave. We're learning together to follow Jesus, and we're talking about discipleship. What does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus? We said a couple weeks ago it means to live by his script, and that means the Bible story. And what does it mean to be biblical as disciples? Well, that means that we're going to try to read the Bible like Jesus, and we're going to seek by grace to inhabit His story that he came to fulfill. And today, we're going to learn how to inhabit his story relationally, how to be disciples with one another relationally. But today, we're going to come at it, not directly, just saying, how do we relate to one another? I'm not going to start right there. I'm going to start with a different question. C.S. Lewis wrote in The Four Loves, sometimes the longest way round is the shortest way home. And so today we're going to ask a different question first that I think will get us to how do we relate to one another in Christ as disciples. And it's this question, what does it mean to be in relationship with Jesus? What does it mean to be in relationship with Jesus? That's what this passage is about that we've opened up to today in John 15. My first best friend, was named, his, st- his name still is, Jesse. In kindergarten, we would go out on the playground and we would play Sonic the Hedgehog together. Now, uh, Sonic is a video game on Sega uh, from the the 90s, an arcade game a little bit before that, and then it's it's movies today. There's some movies that my son enjoys watching, so it brings me back. But when I was on the playground as a five and a six-year-old, I was running around with Jesse, and he was a little bit faster than me, so he was Sonic, who's the fastest hedgehog in the universe. And I would be Tails, this, this fox that has two tails and would fly around and follow Sonic. And I just had a blast running around the playground with Jesse. But then something happened. There were these other boys. There was Trent, and there was Travis. And they start running around with us. And Trent's faster than me, faster even than Jesse. And so he starts being Sonic, and Jesse is Tails. And that means I have to be Dr. Robotnik. He's the bad guy, you know? And, and then this other kid, Travis, is coming in, and we have to find a role for him. And they're getting in the way of my Jesse time. There's not enough Jesse to go around, in my mind. These guys are getting in the way. Have you ever experienced that kind of a thing? How do we learn to relate in Jesus? What does it mean to be in relationship with Jesus? I imagine there's, there's enough of Jesus to go around. But we can get into unfruitful patterns of relationship, can't we? Just like I was learning to navigate in kindergarten on the playground, we can have unfruitful ways where, uh, first of all, a lot of our relationships are based on consumption, consumption of one another. I, I wanted something from Jesse. What was I trying to get out of that? I didn't have categories as a five-year-old for that. But w- we do this in our workplaces very naturally, right? So employers hire people for your skills and for your time. And so in those relationships and those relation, uh, arrangements, that can work for some time. You still hope in your workplaces to have more than just that contractual obligation to one another. You hope that you can develop a real friendship there. But, but a sad thing happens when in our other relationships we start to have consumer-based relationships. It goes like this. You're, you're out at the kindergarten playground and you share with your friend that you got a new Xbox. And all of a sudden, that new friend wants to come to your house and all these other friends who never cared about you before want to come to your house. Why? Because they want to play your Xbox. And then in high school, when boys and girls start dating more seriously, they consume one another. Boys consuming young girls' bodies with their eyes and with their hands. And they don't, they don't truly love. They don't understand what love is yet. Sacrifice. And so when something happens, say a child comes along, they run. They consumed, they got what they wanted, and they run. This is a broken way of relating that too many of us have learned in this world and even experienced ourselves. We can consume one another in relationship. There's another kind of consumption that we can do, and this is one that many of us as church people can be tempted to. I've experienced you guys as very nice people by and large. (laughs) You're very nice people. And you know what very nice people tend to do? They tend to be yes people. They tend to want to make people happy. They want people to be pleased with them. They want their affirmation, their adoration, their approval, right? I know that's none of you. But some people out there can struggle with that, myself included. The the problem is when we're yes people, we could be around people that are consuming others and we won't say anything about it. My friend, Marcus, I got to reconnect with him. He just moved to Boulder from Wisconsin and he told me about his son who's in kindergarten and out on the playground, he encountered a bully and the bully was being unkind to another child on the playground. And Marcus's son, this little five-year-old boy, goes up to the bully and says, I don't like it when you do that. I just thought, that is awesome. Way to go, buddy. Standing up in that way of relating so that that other child might be safe and isn't, the bully isn't enabled to go and keep consuming that other child. The, the yes person would say nothing or perhaps would just turn away and would continue to try to be friends with the bully because they want everyone to like them, right? And this can happen, even in churches and families in businesses, especially when leaders are yes people. People can be harmed because we don't stand up and say, stop. This isn't a fruitful way of relating. Some of us have been hurt by, by those who are like bullies and those who consume others and by yes people. And so we just try to stay away from people altogether, you know? So you, you sneak in, um, you're, you're the folks who sit in the back and you run out as fast as you can because you don't want to deal with us, and I get it. Maybe you're not even here, you're watching online because you don't want to be around those church folks. Or maybe you know people who have that proclivity. Maybe they've been hurt by people like us, <laughs> by these people and people who in their worst moments consume others. But today, what is a fruitful way? What is a a healthy, what is a heavenly way of relating? We learn it in Jesus, in relationship with him. And here's what we find in relationship with Jesus. John 15, verse nine, Jesus says, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. To be in relationship with Jesus means Jesus loves you. And that changes everything. And so we're going to learn today what it means to relate as disciples in Jesus' love. Jesus loves you. Let's pray and then we'll, we'll, we'll dive into this. Father, thank you that we can hear those words today. Jesus loves me. He doesn't just love other people. He loves me. God, you love me. Let every one of your dear lambs here today hear your voice saying that. And transform us by your word and spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Jesus loves you. This is wondrous news. If you remember Jesus coming on the scene in the beginning of the gospel according to John, John the baptizer, not the John who wrote this gospel, but uh, the one who baptized Jesus and many others preparing the way for the Savior King to come, he sees Jesus coming and he says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And so John's disciples, John the baptizer's disciples naturally say, that's the guy and John would say something like, oh yeah, that's the guy. And so they leave John and follow Jesus because John was simply there to prepare the way for Jesus. And when the disciples go to Jesus, they say, Master, where are you staying? He says, come and see. And they spend the day with Jesus, wherever he's staying. Can you imagine that? Going into his little place that he has and enjoying a day, enjoying Near Eastern hospitality with Jesus. Jesus. He knows you by name. And he calls his disciples by name. He knows each of them. He encourages each of them. He challenges each of them. He walks with each of them personally. He washes their feet just a couple chapters prior. He loved them to the end so personally and profoundly. But here's the thing. As Jesus loved them, they found they were loved together. They looked around and Simon the zealot would look over at Matthew the tax collector and see if that's someone Jesus loves. And Thaddeus and Bartholomew would see James and John. Those are people Jesus loves. What do I do? How do I learn to love in, in light of this? Well, first, we sit down in the fact that he loves us personally. Maybe that's all we can receive today and we need to sit there for a while before we could even take another step. Jesus loves you. He is our true vine. Do you remember the calling of Israel? We read it in Isaiah 5. Maybe you guys felt like this when you read those words, uh, the love song for the Lord's uh, vineyard. And as it got worse and worse and worse, you're like, oh no, what are we getting into today? You know. But that's what happened to God's people. They were called to be like a vine, fruitful, bringing blessing and joy to the nations, rooted in the soil of God's word and in his covenant promises. But they became unrooted from his promises. They, they ran after other gods. They trusted in other kings. They lived apart from his words and his ways, and they bore wild grapes, not the kind of fruit that he called them to bear, he, they weren't the kind of light he had called them to be. They weren't the kingdom of priests and the holy nation he had called them to be. So he allowed them to experience judgment so that they might turn to him. But he did even more. He sent his son Jesus to fulfill their calling. What does it say in verse one? I am the true vine. I'm the true vine. And my father is the vine dresser. Jesus came and fulfilled his people's story cuz he loves you. He saw you. He knew you couldn't do it on your own. And so he's welcoming you to himself and now he's saying abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He's welcoming the disciples in to him to dive into his love. And people of all nations, even people in Lamar County in 2022 can come and dive into his love. The one who fulfilled the story for his people, he's the true vine. He's our great high priest. Verse three, already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. How do you become clean if you're thinking like a first century Jewish person? Well, you'd have to make the proper sacrifices. You'd have to follow the law, the Levitical laws. But Jesus came as our great high priest and spoke a final word by his own blood, making all of us clean who looked to him in faith. Already you're clean, he says to his disciples, because of the word I've spoken over you. He's our great high priest. And because he's our great high priest, we have boldness in prayer. Look at verse seven. In the love of Jesus, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it'll be done for you. We have boldness in prayer. You can go to the Father and ask whatever you wish. He's our great high priest. And so now we can boldly approach the throne of grace In time of need, the Father is gracious in this way because Jesus loves us personally as our great high priest. He's our prophet. He speaks to us. He reveals himself to us. Verse 11, these things I've spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. He speaks. He discloses himself. We find that again down below in verse 15. Jesus is speaking about the the change in relationship that's happening. And he's saying, all that I have heard from my father, I've made known to you. He's disclosing not only the father's will, but who the father is to them and his heart. He's our great high priest, he's our prophet. He's the one who fulfilled our calling, the true vine. And what is he saying to do in His love, what do we do about this love that He's demonstrated for us? We abide in it. That's that's a Bible word, isn't it? How often do you say abide? It's like hang out right here. Come sit in my big bing bag chair in my living room. Abide. Sinclair Ferguson says, "What does it mean to abide in Christ?" In his book Lessons from the Upper Room. He says, it would take a book to explain fully, but in the context of John 15, it means, hear this, to live with a sense that the Son of God loves us and gave himself up for us. Live with that sense that he loves us and gave himself up for us, that he dwells within us by his Holy Spirit, that we know that our life is now his and no longer our own. It means to live constantly in that sense, to sit down in that big beanbag chair of God's love and park there for the rest of your life. Jesus loves me. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you, Jesus says. He's talking to the disciples and through them to us today. He loves you, dear one ponder that love. Where do we start if we want to learn to relate to one another in Christ Jesus? We ponder the incredible depths of the riches of the love of God in Christ Jesus. We run into it. And we never stop. We are loved people. I can't I can't get you to hear this, folks. You are loved. Do you get it? God speak to your people today. Tell them they're loved. Each one of you so profoundly loved that God gave his own son, that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have eternal life. He loves you. He wants you. Ponder that. We were dead branches. We, we didn't deserve to be here, but but Jesus ran after us and, and plunged us into himself so that we could have life. He's the true vine, and we're the branches. He says, abide in my love. He loves us personally. Secondly, though, as we start to grasp that, and it's just starting, believe me, we'll never reach the bottom of that well, but as we start to grasp that we are loved personally, we realize that he's loving us protectively. He gives us good commands. He's, He's our prophet, our priest. He's our king who commands us in how we should live. And here's how he commands us in verse 10, first of all. If you keep my commandments, you'll abide in my love, just as I've kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Abide in my love. (laughs) Keep my commandments so that you could abide in my love. Love God and love your neighbor. Love your enemies that you might abide in my love. Verse 12 This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Love one another. There's other people. It's not just Jesse. There's Trent and there's Travis, even the girls. (laughs) And you're called to love them and be loved by them as they're all loved by Jesus. He teaches us, commands us to love one another he says it again in, in verse 14 and verse 17. Again, he, he, he wraps up this section. These things I command you so that you will love one another. Love one another. He loves us protectively. He brings us into the protective love of Christian community among his disciples who are engrafted in the vine. I was uh, at another elementary school in fourth grade and the way the, 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 the playground was set up there was all of the space in the middle with the basketball court. There were swings. There was a wonderful big uh, play set that you could go down slides and climb up. There, there was this goofy game where you could throw a ball in and then it would come out one of the sides and you get a certain amount of points. You know, there was a big field of grass and boys could play football and girls and all join together and enjoy the goodness of that playground. But there was a corner and there was a big tree over in that corner and I myself being the kind of boy I was was drawn to the kids over in that corner where you couldn't be seen by the teacher behind that tree and not only could you not be seen there was a little gap in the fence and so you could actually put your foot outside the school property <gasps> how exciting you know and we we have this huge playground that you know, folks have provided for us to run around, to have fun, to be safe, to enjoy life together. And yet here I am. Oh, you know? And, and isn't this so much like us? We, we imagine that there is more joy to be had in these unseen corners as though they're truly unseen. Corners of life with stolen pleasure that we imagine that God is hiding from us When he's given us a whole garden of goodness and delight to know him, to run into his love and be loved by him, Jesus loves us protectively. And so he instructs us to love. Again, if you keep my commandments, you'll abide in my love. If you want to be safe in my love, keep my commandments. And this is my commandment, love one another as I have loved you. Being in community with Christians isn't an optional part of Christian discipleship. It is essential. It's how we grow. It's how the Lord keeps us in his will. It's his means. We learn to relate to one another as we receive Christ's protective love. He instructs us to love. He models love for us though. Isn't that wonderful about good teachers? They don't just give you a difficult concept, but then they model it. What did Jesus do? Verse 12, this is my commandment that you love one another as as I have loved you. How has Christ loved us? Well, he's already bent down low to wash his disciples' feet in humility, and we know that path will get lower. He will love them to death, even death on a cross. And so he says in verse 13, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. He illustrates this love, and not only illustrates it in theory, but he became that love for them. He modeled this. He warns us against lesser loves, verse 6. If anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. Jesus is a, is, a, is a good teacher and a good friend. He wants what's best for us, and so he tells us what's out there at the corner, at the edges, in those unseen places that God, God sees. We imagine we're unseen. It's death. It leads to separation from the only life that there is. There is no life apart from the vine. So he's honest with us. Not because he's mad at us. Not because he's mean hearted. <laughs> it's precisely because he loves you. Can, you. can I say it again? Jesus loves you. He loves you. And he's loving you when he warns you. But he doesn't just instruct and model. And what a wonder how he modeled for us the love of God. But he welcomes us in. He doesn't just remain a king to us far off. He's not just like our workplace manager. He's our friend. He's our friend. Verse 15. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I've called you friends. For all that I've heard from my father, I've made known to you. Our prophet, priest, and king is our friend. He discloses himself to us First through the disciples. What a wonder, what a grace to us that the Holy Spirit led them into all truth and we have the New Testament and we can know Jesus by his word and spirit now in his community, in this vine and he welcomes us in to know him as friends. We're not looking at someone who's far off who wouldn't have anything to do with us. We're looking at someone who came near and when we run, he's chasing us down because he wants us to be on his team. Now, in all that, I I ask you a couple questions. First of all, when you hear Jesus loving you protectively, when you hear him giving you commands, would you consider that he may actually desire your joy? Look with me, verse 11. I've spoken these things to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Jesus' agenda for you is nothing other than that your joy may be full. He's not trying to consume you. He has no other hidden agenda for you. You may have experienced that in relationships with others. You know, somebody welcomes you into their home. Why are they inviting me over? What do they want from me? Jesus is welcoming you in precisely because he wants your joy. He's calling you into community. Why? Because he wants your joy. He's calling you to love God and neighbor and enemy because he desires your joy not because he's trying to hide it from you. That's where joy is found, being loved by Jesus and getting to share in that love among his people. He's the king who is our friend, the joy we desire. I have to share the wonderful C.S. Lewis quote from Surprised by Joy. Our desires are not too strong but too weak. We're half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. The Lord offers up for us true joy and he's saying, here's how you can experience that. Abide in me. And abide in me with these that I love who are also abiding, abiding in me. Love one another as I've loved you. Now my second question, my first one is, could you imagine Jesus' agenda is for your joy? My second question is, do you value friendships that drive you back toward your friend Jesus? We have a, a word, killjoy. Oh, there's such a killjoy, you know? And there can be a real person who's kind of a killjoy. Somebody who just refuses to have fun, you know? But sometimes we imagine Jesus as a killjoy. We imagine Christians who are just earnestly seeking to follow Jesus and to abide in his love as killjoys. Like you're going to be at a Labor Day cookout sometime soon, and your friend is with you there, and you're both Christians. And it's the first 30 minutes, and you've already had two cores. And your friend comes over to you as you reach for a third, and he says, Hey, why don't you have a soda with me? He's not a killjoy. Maybe he loves you. Maybe he's trying to help you (laughs) to trust in Jesus, who wants you to know true love and not just chemical happiness, but enduring joy. Maybe they're a good friend. Maybe the friend that doesn't join you in, in gossip in the workplace, maybe some of you are blessed in workplaces and you know another Christian there, and you start to engage in the gossip that your neighbors are engaging in at the water cooler, in the lunchroom. And your fellow Christian says, a little bit later, in private, friend, that, that, that just didn't seem like Jesus. I don't like it when you do that. I don't think Jesus does either. He has a better way for our relating. And, and that friend isn't a killjoy. He's trying to point you to real joy. A friend who invites you into Christian community earnestly, with no agenda, but that you might follow Jesus with them and know his love and abide in his love. They have no agenda but for your joy. A friend who calls you out, and we need those friends. Do you have a friend who calls you out? Does anyone have access to your heart in that way? They're not killjoys. They're seeking to point you to true joy, which is only found in Jesus in the vine. Do you value those kinds of relationships? Jesus loves us personally. He loves us protectively. He loves us purposefully. He loves us purposefully that we should bear fruit. Verse two, Jesus has already spoken about this. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. He's called the disciples. He's chosen them to himself that they might bear great fruit and that that fruit might abide. And so he calls us to himself that we should bear fruit. But here's the thing about Jesus's purpose. In order for Jesus to accomplish his purpose in us, because he loves us purposefully, he prunes us. Do you see that in verse two? Every branch of me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes. So when you're hurting, that's not a necessary indication that you're not following the Lord. It might, might be precisely that you're hurting because the Lord is pruning you, because you're following him faithfully, imperfectly but earnestly, he's pruning you. He's cutting out that little part of you that still loves the corners of life that are outside of his will. He's pruning that part from you. He's putting things in your life that make life difficult so that you trust in him for your finances. He's pruning you. And it's not because he's against you. He loves you. Jesus loves you. He's pruning you that you might fulfill your purpose and experience his purposeful love. So he ministers the fruit of the spirit to us, love, joy, peace, patience, goodness. I'm going to forget one of those faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And he cultivates fruit in others through us. In fact, in John's gospel, when Jesus talks about fruit outside, or when the gospel talks about fruit outside of this passage, it's always talking about other people. In John chapter four, Jesus says to his disciples, lift up your eyes and see that the harvest is white. It's ready, it's, it's just waiting for you. He says already in verse 36 of chapter four, already the one who reaps is re- receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life so that the sower and reaper may rejoice together. Jesus is reaping a harvest of souls, of dear ones that he loves And he can call others to himself and graft others into himself, even using faulty instruments like us. John 12, Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. And what fruit the cross has borne for us, Jesus laying down his life for us. And what fruit the church has borne when she has laid down her life in following Jesus and the witness that's born in the world. Jesus loves us purposefully, he would bear fruit through us. And all of this is done in the direction of his love. So how do we relate in love as Jesus calls us? That's where where we want to to get to today. I, I wanna say again and again, it's not by starting with a nine step action plan, We could have a lot of great ideas, but here's here's my thing I want to give to you, and I think it's a Jesus thing. It's a scripture thing. Abide in the love of Jesus. Jesus loves you. If you would relate to others in the way Jesus would call you, come back again and again and again. A kindergartner won't find the resources to love Trent and all of these people who are coming in and crowding out the way he wants his relationships to work. We won't find it anywhere else. We won't find it in isolation. We won't find it consuming one another. We find it in Jesus a full life, a rich life, the only life. And when we love as he's loved us, the world starts to see the glory of being a disciple. This is what Jesus himself said. He said, a new commandment I give to you in John 13, verse 34, that you love one another. This is how they'll know that you're my disciples, that you love one another. The world will see this new way of love and he'll bear much fruit through it. He loves us personally. He loves us protectively. He loves us purposefully. Easy for you to say. He loves you. Father, thank you that you love us and that you've sent Jesus. Help us to abide in that love. Lord, as we take just a brief moment to hear from you of what you would say to us now, Lord, I pray that you would help us to recall to mind whatever your Holy Spirit is saying to us today by your word. Help us to be your people, abiding in your will, keeping your commands for our joy and for your glory. We ask it in Jesus' name, amen. We're gonna take just a a brief moment and just ask the Lord, what are you saying to me? Speak to me, Jesus. So listen to the Lord now, amen. (laughs)